Here we go, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. As you know, we've been in a series uh, on, really, we're just calling it the life series, and we're talking about how life is supposed to work and what, what it looks like living life with Jesus leading us and how to be his people. Uh, we talked about the seasons of life and how the seasons of life, God works within them, and there's always another season coming. We talked about the big picture of life and how we can't get a small myopic view of life, but we have to see what God is doing in the big picture in order to, for the small picture to make sense. And then we talked about uh, the tree of life, one of the first stories in the Bible for a very important reason, how it shapes our way of thinking and how we serve God and how we do things for Him and how we uh, yield our lives to Him and, and uh, what kind of fruit we have in our lives. And then we talked last week about the secret life. If you missed any of those, you can get them on the podcast. Um, and, and all of them, I think, are really foundational to who we are as a church and to who we need to be in this city. And so today I want to talk about another idea about life that, that helps us in our, and what I think is a, a society that is really consumed with busyness and productivity. And so we're going to talk about the rhythm of life today. Talk about establishing a rhythm of life. We're going to talk about Sabbath and so let's pray over the scriptures and then let's read them together. Father, thank you for your, the scriptures and how they come alive to us by the Spirit. Would you illuminate? Would you give us grace to obey? Would you teach us and then help us to walk in it? We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read there first and, and kind of use it as the backdrop to what we're talking about today. Scripture says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And uh, of course, God has been creating the entire world. In each day, he creates something new and all, all of it's been created. And verse two says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I want you to notice that God blessed this seventh day. He blessed it. He made it holy. He set it apart. He made it different than the other days. And he himself rested on that day. Do you think that he was tired from all the creating? Yeah, whew, tired. Whoo, flinging those stars. That building up my biceps is good, but it makes me tired. No, God was not tired. There wasn't, there wasn't any need in him but he established something when he established the seventh day. There was an idea that he was, he was putting as he was in, investing in creation and in his creation and how it was supposed to function, how it was supposed to work, the interaction between humanity and creation and what it was supposed to look like. So he's giving us an example of how this is supposed to work by giving us a seventh day and by choosing himself. He chose himself to rest. He chose rest. What we're talking about today is the rhythm of our lives. I don't know if you know, music has a rhythm to it. All good music has a rhythm to it. Often, uh, m m music that, that, that experiments with different rhythms, um, you know, people don't know what to do with it, but there's something that's really powerful about rhythm in music. And, and part of that is the way it the way it plays the notes and then, and then rests between the notes. And there's something about how music 
you know, if you look at how it's written, you will see that it has notation where you play the notes. I was a worship leader for a long time. I worked with musicians and, and, and all the emotionally creative, super amazing, gifted people that have lots of issues. I worked with them. And then they are, I mean, it's so brilliant. And I think it's, the, I think it is so like the devil to attack the people, attack any of us and all of us right where our giftedness is. And so I, I working with these people, I did a lot of uh, teaching and talking about music and how to do it and how to make it happen. Well, really the, the issue is if you just play the notes, I was at a place last night, actually, I was, if you just play the notes, it sounds bad. But if you play the notes with a commitment to the way, it's, the, the way it's expressed and then a commitment to the breaks and the rests that are in the music, there's something called a rest notation. I was at a place last night, this is what I was going to tell you, and they were, there's a band that they got up and you're like, oh, I hope it's a good band. And they got up and it was just... And they just were all over the map, and they weren't playing in tempo in a perfect time. It was just all very, it was just bad. It was just bad. If you play out of time, it sounds bad. It feels bad. If you don't play according to the rests in music, it sounds awful. Actually, without rests, what happens? It's just all playing. It's all, pl- it's all sound, and there's no definitive understanding of how the music sounds. It is not the music and the sound that makes the music. It's the rest that defines what the song is. The rests define the music. The rests define what it sounds like. And just like in music, rest defines life too. Life is defined by the rests and not all the activity. Too much activity too much productivity, too much being consumed with work and with all the things that are going on in our life and no rest begins to create a lot of noise. Creates a lot of noise and and no clear sound. The question really is, why why, why do we not rest more often? Well, we live in a culture, in an a, um, American culture, where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we, and we, and we live in a, in a society that says, the more productive you are, the more powerful you are. The more productive you are, the more you can earn. The more, producti- more productivity you have, the more others respect you. Why do, people, why do people run themselves into the ground and not rest? Pressure to produce, recognition, self-esteem, fear of failure, Um, greed. They just want more stuff, so they work and work and work and try to keep getting more stuff. That's their only way to get more stuff. Anxiety about the future. Sometimes they're just masking their own pain, and so they just just mask the pain by working. Just keep keep your head down. Keep going. I was looking at at, uh, YouTube videos when I was just doing a little research about this, and it is incredible how much productivity training there is. I actually saw a guy who said last night, it was, I was looking at it, and he said, double your productivity, double your life. <laughs> I didn't know what that means. I was like, what does that mean? Does that become you, you get bigger? Does it, mean, does it mean you live longer? You live twice as long? What is it? Double your productivity, double your life. And there's so many incredible books, resources, pamphlets, videos, all this stuff about how to be more productive. But there's also this voice out there 
in the blogosphere, in the social media that's, that's crying out for something that's not driven by all these things. In our culture, people, we're, we're, we're aware that there's something that makes you, that really makes you sick in your soul if all you do is work. We kind of know it, but we don't know how to stop it. And so I think God was putting into place something that helps us understand how we're supposed to function in life. Work is not the enemy. Work is good. Work makes, I, listen, nobody loves checking off a list more than me. I like making stuff happen. I like for it to be organized and for it to, to be accomplished. And I love to finish something. But, but that in and of itself cannot be the driving factor for my life or your life either. Andy Stanley says something. He says, when you find yourself saying, if I don't, then it won't. In other words, I have to do this. Nobody else is going to do this. If, if I don't do this, then this won't happen. If you find yourself saying that on the weekends, so you have to go to work. If you have to, if you, if you have to stay late every night and you find yourself saying, I, I, I just have to do this, you know you're in trouble. You're being consumed by a drivenness. And it may be driven by need. It may be driven by, by the, the fact that you, you need more money. But it cannot, it cannot define you. Work cannot be the thing that defines you. Even productivity cannot be the thing that defines you because we're in trouble if all our significance comes from being defined by our work, by what we can produce. I, I was reading a book by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote the Message Bible, if you're curious about who he is. And he says, he said, there's two reasons why pastors are busy. Two reasons, right? The first reason is they are busy because they're of their vanity. Vanity. They think it's impressive to be busy. And the truth is, lots of us succumb to that, right? It's just impressive. How, how are you doing? How are things going? Oh, man, busy. Whew, wow. So I can't believe how busy it is. I mean, if I have to, I, I'm, I'm striking that word from my language, from anything. I never say I'm busy. I don't care if I am busy. I just say life is full. It's full and wonderful and rich. There's a, there's a thing that we get, we, we want to be busy. So he says, pastors are busy for two reasons, either vanity, because they think it's impressive to say they're busy, or laziness. And he says, because they don't get to the, to the calendar first. They let everybody else determine their calendar. It's an interesting journey for me as your pastor, because I will confess to you, out of all the subjects we've been talking about over the last few weeks, this is my least favorite. This is the one I do the most poorly on. Because I think there's a, there's, a, there's a way to think about life that God has for us that, um, that we've got to embrace, and, it, and, and, it's, and I think it's unique. It starts from the beginning of the scriptures, and it goes all the way through to the end. Look at, look at number one here in your message notes. Here's what I want to say. I want to give you three things, three things that I want you to think about and how the Sabbath works. Number one, the Sabbath is a way of understanding life. It's original design. It's the way life was meant to be. Here's the way God set it up in the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath day is a, one of the biggies. 
one of the ten. Here it is, Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. This is why, that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. In Jewish practice, the Sabbath is actually Friday night at sunset all the way to Saturday night at sunset. And with the different seasons, that sunset is different So at, at different seasons of the year. So you, you, you just knew that sunset was the, the beginning of Sabbath, and it allowed to flex with, with creation and its seasons. But I think we have, to, we have to understand also the Jewish mindset was we have to adhere to this as a, as a rule and as an idea, and our community is based on this. And there's something that I think we have to understand about how the Sabbath worked in, in their community as well as ours, and, and that is it defined them as God's people. And it defined them as a group of people that, that God loved so much that he gave them his word, and his word gave them a day of rest. If you're familiar with manna, manna was the, 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 the food the, that God provided in the wilderness for the people of Israel when they were on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And they're trying to get to this promised land that they've been, they've been promised and, and they're struggling and God provides manna for them and he says, don't collect any more than one day's worth. It'll stink. So some of them do just that. They, they gather it up and then the next day it's all rotten. And then, and then he says, okay, on, this, on Friday, I want you to collect twice as much on this day, and it'll last you. And miraculously, it lasts through the Sabbath day. And, uh, and so he's, there's something about this that, that we have to understand he was giving to them, but it doesn't have to do with our American idea of productivity. Most of you think that rest has to do with being more productive later. If I get a good eight hours of sleep, that makes my other... 16 hours a day, really productive. If I, if, I, if, I, if I take a day off, that's really going to make me sharper for my week next week, and I've really got a lot to do. Uh, seven Habits of Highly Effective People, great book, Habit 7, Sharpen the Saw. Sharpen the Saw is make sure you're investing in yourself so that you can be really pr more, even more productive. That You've got to take time away from the thing that you're doing and, and then sharpen yourself and invest in yourself. That's an American idea. It is not a God idea. And it certainly, it doesn't describe the backdrop for Sabbath. Because I think the backdrop for Sabbath is God saying to his people, I want to make sure you understand you have value to me, even though you're not producing. Well, what are you saying, Pastor Ross? Are you saying that he doesn't want us to produce for him? No, he's, you know, he's God's all about production. But the way you produce is what he's really interested in. The way you deal with your career and your money and your land and your property, the way you interact with that, he's really interested in that. 
And so I think he wanted to create the Sabbath as not a utilitarian thing that gets us sharper and more productive later, but it's an existential concept that says, I want it to be about how your life works. I want, this, I want you to understand it's about life and about love. That's why I want you to celebrate and honor the Sabbath. I want it to be about the life that you're living. I want you to be defined by this resting place, not defined by your work. And I, I really got caught up in this for a while, and you've heard me say this over the last year. I've said this many times. I'm trying to put it into the culture that we have at One Chapel, and that is, I don't know that we should talk too much about God using us like tools. I heard that all my life. God wants to use you. I heard a guy say, though, this last year, he's like, we don't have relationships with tools. At least we shouldn't. Some men do. They love their tools. They just, they have a relationship with them. It's, it's wrong. It's not right. It's idolatry. So what, do you, what, what, what we should do is see the scriptures through the lens of God's love and relationship and what he's calling us into is a partnership, that we're doing things with him in the earth and he's invited us to do these things with him in, out of relationship. And so he wants us to be productive, but he wants us to be productive for the kingdom in the way that life actually works which is finding our significance in Him, finding our value in Him, finding our, our relationships revolving around Him, rather than our relationships revolving around our career or around getting ahead or a value coming from what we can produce or our, our worth coming from, from this idea of significance. So number two, Sabbath is a way of experiencing life. It's not just a way of understanding the backdrop of life. It's the uh, idea of experiencing life because it is an act. When you decide, I'm going to take a day and I'm going to honor the Lord with it and I'm not going to do any of my ordinary work. And by the way, that doesn't mean you sit around and read the Bible all day. It, what it, it doesn't mean you sit around and pray all day, although it can. But it means you're just not going to do the work. You're going to actually rest. You're going to actually lay down and go to sleep. You're going to take a nap. Wait, wait, you're going to take a nap and you're not going to be guilty about it. Whoa, I just blew some of your minds right there. You, you take a nap on a Sabbath day. We're not talking about just being, um, just being uh, what you, our perception of holy and reading the Bible and praying and doing all this stuff. That's, that's not the definition here. It's, it's I'm not going to do the work that produces for me. And I'm going to be willing to set this day aside for God. And he's going to enjoy me just like I am. He can enjoy me just as I am in the process that I'm in with him. And so the Sabbath is a way of experiencing life, an act of trust and faith. It is putting your trust in him. And the question is, do you believe that God can do more with six days of work? Can God do more for you in six days of work than you can by yourself in seven? That's really the question. The question is about who's in charge and who are you willing who are you willing to center your life around? Yourself, your spouse, your kids? In our culture, we are working hard to provide for our kids. And before you know it, our kids become the center of everything. And we're just working, working, working so our kids have more than we do. That's idolatry. 
our, our, what we're talking about in the Sabbath experience is making God the center, and he defines our life by that rest day and by other things, by the way we deal with our money, by the way we treat other people, by the way we serve people. I mean, it's, it's, it's all one big piece here, and, and he, and this, but the Sabbath is a thing that I think our culture violates very often. And so look at Exodus 34. Verse 21, it says, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. That was really hard for a farmer to hear. Plowing season, you got to get the seed in the ground on time or you're not going to have a harvest. Harvest, you got to get it off the ground or it could get destroyed. Verse 22, celebrate the festival of weeks and the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival festival of ingathering and at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. And I look what verse 24 says. It says, when you're doing these things, when you celebrate the way I tell you to celebrate, when you honor me with these festivals, when you will do the things that I'm asking you to do, look what he does. Verse 24, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord. He says, look, I'll be your protector. I'll make sure that your enemies don't get what you have. I'll make sure that I defend you if you'll just listen to me. If you, I'll increase your territory if you will celebrate this festival, this Sabbath, if you will make sure that this is part of how you honor me. And make no mistake, practicing the Sabbath requires a commitment. It requires a, a preparation. It requires work. I said to people this summer while I, we were trying to go on vacation, it took me a long time to get, it took me a long time and I had to work really hard to get to the rest. Like I wanted to rest and relax. It was very hard this summer for me to do that because so many things were going on. I think that's how it is with, with somehow practicing a Sabbath day. And here's what God is saying. Working without Sabbath will yield what we can produce, right? What I can produce, that's what working without the Sabbath is about. But working with the Sabbath will yield what God can produce. And the question is, whose power do you want working for you, your own or, or God's? You can, you can work, you can give your blood, sweat, and tears. At the end of the day, you'll gain what you have worked for minus some bodily fluids. But at, if, if you want to enter into the covenant that God has and reap the benefits of work, your own work, plus the benefits of God's protection, God's strength, and God's productivity in your life, then this is what the Sabbath is about. Even the land needed a Sabbath. Leviticus 25, I won't take time to read it, but it explains how every seven years the land should rest too, because it's the way God's created everything. We're to experience life in a way that has pace, that has rhythm, that has six days of work. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Exhale. I think we find ourselves not exhaling way too often. And when everything's just just thrown together. There's no rhythm for our life. There's no definition for our life. And the experience of our life is just chaotic. And so even the land, God said, needs rest. And the world, I mean, the world is created to replenish itself if we treat it correctly. Do you realize this? The world replenishes itself. The earth, the way it was made, it replenishes itself if it's treated well, if it's mistreated, if it's violated, then it starts to break down. Big controversial discussion about fracking to get oil right now. 
all kinds of discussion about hormones being injected into all of our food. What are we doing? We're trying to speed up the production. We're trying to use little pieces of, of, of land until they're just torn apart and not usable anymore. We're violating, this, we're violating the earth and we're violating the, the ideas that God wants for us to experience a full and rich life. Because here's the benefits of Sabbath. Here's some benefits. The truth is, I think if you practice Sabbath, if you practice a rhythm in your life, spiritual renewal, there are days when you just you give a day to God and you just say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna spend this day thinking about you and, and listening to you and, and, and being encouraged by you. And I, I think this is such an important idea, going away and just praying and fasting for a day. It's really a, a, an idea that I think God created the Sabbath with. Prioritizing would be another idea. You prioritize your life when you stop and take stock of everything. You listen, you, you quiet your soul and you begin to listen to who God is. You listen to your spouse a little more when you stop and rest. You listen to your kids. You hear what they're really saying. You quiet your soul and you begin to listen to others and you develop a listening ear for God. You, you develop a, a plan. It's so much easier to stop and to reflect on what you've been doing and look ahead to what you want to do. There's physical energy that is renewed when you rest. There's family and relationships that are repaired when you just all are together, just, just uh, celebrating and honoring the Sabbath. And it's really hard work. Here, give me this, babe. It's really hard work when you just, <laughs> it's really hard work when, you, when your life revolves around this. Sometimes you just need to put this in the basket Pass the basket around to the family. Just say, here, we're going to just spend this day without these. <laughs> really hard to do that. I mean, look, this is a blessing. I'm not saying don't use it the rest of the other six days. I mean, strap it to your body if you need to, whatever. But I'm saying, no, that's not good either. But you, but you, but you one day a week, dinner time, dinner time, pass the basket around and then put the basket away. We used to do a thing where we put it all in the middle of the table. Everybody's, everybody's, everybody's phone's in the middle of the table. Nobody looking at their phones. We're going to have conversation here. Something happens to families and relationships because the life God wants us to experience is centered around His ideas and His productivity and provision. Number three, the Sabbath is not only a way of understanding life and what life God wants you to have. It's not just a way of experiencing life. It's a way of receiving life. Now, I'm going to stop here and say that Jesus picked on the Sabbath. He, he ch intentionally chose things to do on the Sabbath that would rattle the religious leaders. All the religious leaders, they were really obsessed with holding firm to the rules and the regulations, the Ten Commandments, especially these are the biggies. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. We got we to gotta obey the Sabbath. And then they developed all these other rules about how far you could walk and how much you could lift. And, you know, because you got to evaluate what work is. Jesus came along and just started blowing that thing up. His disciples were walking through a field and they picked some corn and ate it. All the religious people went, you can't do that on the Sabbath. He, he healed people intentionally on the Sabbath. All these people are around, and in several occasions, he's, he, he's got all these religious leaders, and they're all watching him, and he intentionally does, and he says, 
Hey, what do you got that you need help with? And he heals his hand, heals his leg, heals, uh, he heals people's bodies, and they get all bent out of shape. You can't, I mean, how messed up is it to say you can't heal on the Sabbath? You can't do that. You know what that says? Okay, ah, listen. You know what it means? The religious people thought Jesus was doing the work himself. They didn't want to admit that God might be doing the work through him. So they made it his work instead of God's work. Jesus himself, in one of the interactions between the religious leaders, he said, look, any of you, don't you go and chase down your sheep when they get away on the Sabbath? Sure you do. You, go, you take care of the things that have to be taken care of. But Jesus was ushering in a new age, a way of thinking about the life of God that didn't have to do just with the rules or the laws or the duty that they were supposed to fulfill. Jesus was bringing about something that had to do with God's desire for people and the life he wanted them to live and the rest he wanted them to have. And even though it was established from the very beginning of the book, Jesus was ushering in a new way to understand life and rest. Jesus was ushering in a way to think about how life works. Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest. Everybody say rest. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now listen to me. Yoke is a, an instrument of work, and you put it on oxen, and they would work hard. They'd pull things, and they'd plant things, and, and they would till the soil, and, and those oxen, there's, there's such power there, and everybody who heard Jesus say this, they would have known he's talking about work, but I don't understand what he's saying. He's saying when I work with him, I get rest. He, Jesus is saying, I have a different way to work than you, than you do. If you just think about work the way you think about work and you don't include me, you're, you're, you're going to get really tired. But he said, come to me, all of you who are burdened and, 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 and weary, and I'm going to give you rest. And he wasn't just talking about physical rest, although I think he's also talking about that and including him in everything in your life. I think he's talking about spiritual rest. He's talking about not just the, your physical life, but your spiritual life, what's going on the inside of you. Because his day was full of people who were trying to live in such a way that they could prove that they were good people by following the rules. Even in our own day, religious people who follow the rules, they, they, they seem good. And often they try to be good by following the rules. If, we, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about the tree of life and, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what death it produces to try to obey the rules to receive life. It's impossible. You cannot do it. The way you receive real life is through Christ himself. And so Jesus is working and he wants you to work with him. He wants you to work the way he works. He wants you to approach your job the way he would. He wants you to deal with your money the way he would deal with money. He wants you to include him in the way everything in your life works and including your spiritual life that you surrender to him and he's the one who makes you good. He's the one who produces good out of you. He's the one who begins to add to your pro productivity and you begin to be productive in the kingdom but also in your in your 
the routine of your everyday life because, because Jesus is saying for the Christian, every day is holy. Every day is like a Sabbath day. Jesus is working on a whole nother level. It's totally, it's, to, it's not the level you're working at. It's a whole nother level. It's different. It's totally different than the way you think about how life works. What did Jesus say? When you seek the kingdom first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what happens? Everything else begins to take care of itself. He adds everything else. He works in a different way. And so the Sabbath is about receiving life through Christ. And so you, you see Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 right there. Just read that with me. It says, the writer of the Hebrews says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So like God rested on the, on the Sabbath day, we are resting from our attempts at being holy by good works, and we are going to surrender to Christ, and we're going to yield to Him. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I had a lady ask me after one of the services, she said, so which day can I, I mean, do, do I have to, when do I have to do the Sabbath? Do I have to do it on Saturday? Because I work on Saturday. Look, here's what Jesus was trying to say. Every day is holy, but you need to practice life. You need to experience life. You need to receive life the way God designed it. And that includes resting in him, yielding to him for your spiritual life. Oh, wait, wait. Some of you are thinking, well, that means I have to get up and read my Bible and pray every day. Did you know you can get up and read your Bible and pray every day and not receive life from Jesus? You can you can read it and just pass right by it. It's not, about the, it's not about the routine. It is about the attitude, and it's about the life that you're willing to receive. It's not about becoming a really good person by your holiness. It's about even on the days when you feel like you're not very holy, surrendering to Jesus and trusting him to save you, to rescue you to rely on him, to repent of your foolishness or your failure or your mistakes and, look, and go back to him, responding to him. That's what, that's what resting in him is all about. And so in order to live a Sabbath life, all right? So a Sabbath life, you can practice the Sabbath on any day that you deem necessary. But you have to have an attitude about it and, a, and a, an experience about it and a receiving posture for Christ to work in you. Here's what it looks like. It looks like surrendering to God's original design for my life. I'm not gonna work 90 hours a week and never take a day off and never rest. That's gonna destroy my life and it'll destroy my family. I will surrender to God's original design for my life. Some of you are think, looking at me saying, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I need to do. You don't... Listen, I don't have to. God already does and he wrote it. You, you just, you, 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 you've, got to, you've got to line your life up with what he's saying about how life works. Number two, I will trust God to provide my fa for my family, for my family and me by resting. I'll trust God to provide for my family and me by resting. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I'm going to rest? No, like, work hard for six days. Don't be lazy. Be a good steward of what God's given you. Work hard. It is respectable. God designed you to work. 
But you and I have to take a day of rest. Number three, I will rest in the work of Christ and not my own works. I'll trust Jesus and the way he works. I'll trust him for my spiritual nourishment and food. I'll trust him and not try to accomplish it on my own. Close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Let him speak into your life in a way that, that challenges you. Maybe you're so consumed with productivity that you've just been living your life in such chaos. It's like a cacophony of sound. It just doesn't have any definition. And suddenly you realize, I, I need to repent and I need to surrender to him and his design and his way. Maybe you're unfamiliar with how a relationship with God actually works, that he desires relationship with you, and, and you, you're here and suddenly realizing he's calling out to you, and it sounds too good to be true. That's why it's called the good news. He's looking to have relationship with you and draw him to yourself. All you have to do really is just yield. Yield to him. Don't insist on your own way. Don't insist on being holy on your own. Don't insist on having life on your terms.